Well, I'm really pleased to be here. This is the this is uh, not just the last day of the month; it's the last day of the year. And you know, they're out. The media is out there going back over the past year and basically going, "What was that?" <laughs> you know, just reviewing the events of the year and trying to put things in context before we. I mean, it went by in just an eye blink, pretty much, uh, before the next eye blink, and we're doing this again. But the stories that we conjure about what happened this year, um, all right. The stories, the stories that we conjure, that uh, um, we tell ourselves and that we listen to in an effort to try to understand the context of the world that we live in, uh, is a large part of the. Uh, the delusion that we that we suffer under, and I'd like to I'd like to talk today about delusion and the stories we tell ourselves, um, and how they how they uh, are not usually helpful. Um, delusion is one of those things that we don't talk about a whole lot in the Dharma world because really we haven't figured it out. <laughs> Um, you know, we talk about desire, and desire, desire, hatred, and delusion are, are considered the three poisons, the underlying uh, tendencies which which cause us suffering. And desire, which starts with some discontent with the present situation, um, usually we wind up thinking about what we're going to get. You know, the Buddha has a phrase, uh, contemplating gratification. So we think about you know, how what we're going to do, uh, what we're going to get is going to be good, and we think about how wonderful the vacation will be, or what the leather seats in our new car will be like, or, you know, what it'll be like to move to, or get another job, or whatever. And we, you know, so we sort of like desire. You know, it's, uh, it's nice to think about those things. And of course, uh, hatred or aversion, anger, well, we don't like it. We don't like that. It's unpleasant. So we like desire. We don't like aversion. And we haven't figured out delusion. Um, delusion, of course, is, is um, uh, you know, is part of, is the flip side of, or the same thing as ignorance, which is the beginning of the, the chain of dependent origination, which is the, the cause of our suffering, because we don't understand the way things are, we, um, you know, we act in terms of uh, of what we um, misunderstand, and it causes us suffering. Um, and the, the big trick is that we we mistake the story. It's not that we don't understand so much; it's that we think we understand. Most of us don't think we're deluded. Um, we we think we've sort of got it figured out, generally. More or less, give or take. Um, if pressed, you know, we we retreat to don't know mind or something. But you know, we we generally operate from the. But um, the problem is that the stories that we tell ourselves and listen to that we that we use to to define the situation, um, we mistake those stories for what's going on. You know, in in um, in General semantics, the first law is the map is not the territory. The story we tell ourselves about 
what is going on uh, is not the same thing as what is going on. In, in Zen, they say, Zen is a finger pointing to the moon. But don't mistake the finger for the moon, which is, you know, we, we, we do that a lot. We, um, we try to deepen our understanding of situations by studying our maps, our concepts, our understandings of what's going on, rather than looking directly at the stories, the dreams that we live in. You know, when the Buddha, you know, the story about how after his uh, awakening and he's walking along, first person he encounters is so stunned by his demeanor. He says, who are you? Are you, are you a god, a dev, or whatever? And the Buddha says, no, I'm awake. And what, what he means is he's not in the dream of the stories we tell ourselves about what's going on. You know, we live in the world of, of uh, George W. Bush and Iraq and, and relativity and global warming. And those are all the stories that we've got going about, uh, about the world that we, that we um, are in the midst of. Not that there aren't other things going on in the world. We'll acknowledge that. We just don't have any idea what they are. Um, there was a, uh, and those are the things, of course, that will, that are likely to be more significant. That's that's my story. <laughs> uh, was one of the reviews of the year in science that uh, um, I saw in the past week was some pundit, some science pundit, saying, well, you know, the most important discoveries are the ones we haven't heard because they're happening in labs and, the, and uh, they haven't been announced in the media. Um, you know, so we're not, they're not part of our story yet, and yet the consequences uh, of those might be even much more momentous than, I don't know, global warming. Who knows? We just, we just don't know. Um, so mindfulness, mindfulness of, of story is not one of the, the elements of, of uh, Satipatthana. It's not one of the things the Buddha said, develop mindfulness of your story. You know. In fact, if anything, he, he said, you know, when in the seeing, only the seeing, just the seeing, in the hearing, in the touching, and in the story, just notice story without getting caught in the quality of the dream. And it's, it's not easy to do, because our tendency is, is, to, um, is to believe the stories that we tell ourselves and that we listen to. Temple Grandin. You guys know who Temple Grandin is? She's um, uh, a pretty remarkable woman. She's uh, an autistic woman who's got a doctorate in animal sciences and she teaches at Northwestern someplace in the Midwest I think and her commitment uh, she works mainly with uh, uh, meat packing plants and her commitment is to provide the most humane slaughter possible to the animals because they're gone anyway and her job is to make them uh, is to reduce their suffering and she's called in by, you know, the meatpacking plants and the feedlots and, the, you know, who are saying our, our cows are upset. And, um, you know, 
what's what's wrong? Well, they won't go down that chute. You know, we got them, we we prod them and, and yell at them, and they won't go down right. The, you know, we got the fence, and they go, they won't go down. So she comes out and she takes a look. She maintains that because of her autism, her state of awareness is more in tune with animals than with us, us who are not as in tune with animals. Um, so she looks at this tableau, and instead of seeing a chute, she says, well, there's water reflecting down there. They don't, there's a puddle, and the light, they don't like the light. So they cover that, and everything's fine. But the feed pack, the food feedlot people see the concept, the chute. They're aiming the cows down the chute. They see the concept. Uh, and she walks in and looks at the, at the visual tableau, which is what the animals encounter. They don't encounter, you know, the concept. But we do the same, you know, we, that's, that's, um, that's, she calls that abstractification. And it's, it's, it's believing the stories that we tell ourselves about what's going on, uh, and who we are. Um, and, and in this context, the stories are a form of the, the skanda of perception. Because they identify, uh, it's the brain, ident- mind identifying, uh, what's going on. It's the story about that and our, our believing the stories that we tell ourselves is our clinging. What does it mean to cling to these stories? You know, we believe them and we get upset about them. Um, or they, they invigorate us. Um, I, I saw a story, I mean, and we react to them. We react to them. There was a story, I'm waiting to see how long it takes to show up in the mainstream media, a group of employees in the uh, federal park service, apparently from the Grand Canyon, were asking to please be allowed to um, answer the question of how long it took to uh, for the Grand Canyon to occur, because new federal guidelines, this is, the letter was just released on in, in the 28th of December, new federal guidelines is that you don't get to answer that question because it might upset creationists. So the story is really important. You know, we, we does anybody, anybody react to that story? I mean, no. It's a story. But, you know, we get upset. I thought, well, what am I going to do about this? I got to write a letter. I got to call somebody. You know, we, we react out of our stories. It's just a story. But, but it's, it's important because the context that we understand, right? Our understanding. In the, in the Eightfold Path, right understanding comes before intention and then before the action. So out of our understanding comes our intention. So it matters whether Iraq is experiencing a, an insurgency or a civil war. Because if it's an insurgency, it means we've got an enemy, and if it's a civil war, it means we don't have anything to do with it. It's, you know, on its own. And, and of course, that, that concept will, will determine, uh, you know, what's, what's commonly held will determine the, the intention of the, the public. So it's a fight for definition of the situation. Sounds awfully academic. Um, 
And when you act out of out of deluded uh, out of delusion, then the actions are going to be unskillful, and it'll lead to to uh, to future suffering. The stories. It's tough for us to get out of the story, to just view it as story, because we believe so strongly. I uh, have become a fan of the Dog Whisperer recently. Any of you watched the Dog Whisperer? It's just great. You know, um, uh, Cesar Milan is a um, Mexican. I guess I don't know, even know whether he's still got a citizenship, whether he's become a citizen. He was an illegal immigrant. He stood in the Rio Grande up to his shoulders for eight hours waiting for the border patrol to go away. Um, He's since paid a large fine so he can stay in the country, but he can afford it now. Uh, and he, he grew up in uh, you know, rural Mexico on a, on a farm where there were a lot of dogs. And because of the nature of the family and whatever, he grew up with the dogs. And he understands dogs really well. And so he's, you know, he's the dog whisperer, and people call him, and he, he, uh, he comes and takes dogs that are really crazy. And it looks like magic if you ever watch his show. You know, he just, it's all in his presence. He says, I only relate to energy. I don't, you know, he just relates to the energy of the dog and the energy of the owners. You know, and not to the story they're telling. Of course, dogs, you know, what story? But but the owners, of course, have have stories. And we've all had it. I mean, I I remember sitting on retreat once, you know, going over problems with a staff person. And why did she do this? And why couldn't she? And why did we do this? And how come? And what am I going to do? And why didn't you know? And it I must have done that for a day before I went. I just I'm angry. You know, I mean, I was just going through the story over and over again before I realized, you know, for hours before I noticed that the energy was an energy of aversion and anger. So stories are, are, you know, the content of the story masks some energy because we pay attention to the to the content. Um, Not that they're not that stories are not useful. They are important, you know. It's there. There are tools. They're perceptual tools. Um, they help us know. You know, you walk into Safeway and you don't go through the door with the red dot on it that says "Do not enter," you know, because you know the doors are gonna, you know. And I mean, there's and the stories allow us to to uh, be skillful at getting what we want. Most of the stories are are. Um, but stories are not the right tool for every job. And our, the problem that we've got is we think that if we get the story right, we will be liberated. We'll be free from the dissatisfaction in our lives. Uh, but, you know, I guess there's no idea that's going to liberate us. There's no story that's going to liberate us. And getting the story right or the right idea is not going to do it. Um, the biggest story, of course, that we that we tell ourselves, and that is is at the deepest level the cause of, of most of our suffering, is the story about ourselves. Um, 
Now, the Buddha says, not-self, whatever, anatta, is the quality of existence, of our experience, and yet we have stories that we tell. Our biography, who we are, where we came from, um, and we believe them. We recount them. I have a friend who was doing a, uh, some graduate work in, in, at uh, Georgetown, and she was in a, a program for people who were doing personal counseling. And there were a dozen people sitting around, and the instructors invited everybody to introduce themselves by telling their story. And he said, you know, whatever you're going to say, it's going to be a story. And we're all going to relate to it just as a story. You may think that it's true, but we're just going to relate to it as a story. um, There's no way around telling a story. To introduce, and I, of course, I was up for the challenge, and I thought, well, let's see, maybe you could say, but whatever you come up with, you know, is your story, and you're going to stick to it. It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Who we are, and and you know, the other part, the other other elements of the story include our expectations you know, about what's going to happen, uh, what we're trying to accomplish, what we want the path that we're on, and not just, um, not just the spiritual path, but, you know, employment and, I mean, just the, just the path we're on, the goal, where are we going to get to? Where are we heading? Who are our allies? Who are our adversaries? All that story. And that creates the context for who we are. And it's just all dream. You know, we we make it up and we believe it. There's a great story about Bodhidharma, who was the the meditation master who brought who, by, according to legend, brought uh, Buddhism to China. He was called before the emperor, the, the emperor of China. This is you know someone like the pharaoh. I mean, are, are bigger than the Ayatollah. It's, the, the representation of God on earth and he was called before him and uh, the emperor said you know I've been making a lot of contributions to your to monasteries and to the to the uh, uh, to the teachings I'm curious about uh, what kind of merit I have accumulated Bodhidharma said no merit no merit at all and the emperor, you know, is not used to being talked to this way. So, well, what, what do you think is holy, then? Bodhidharma says, nothing, nothing holy anywhere. You know, and the emperor is pretty exasperated and says, well, who are you? And, you know, to the manifestation of God on earth, Bodhidharma said, I don't know. <laughs> We believe our, the stories about who we are. Just, they're, just in, some of them are incredibly intimate. There's this great story. You people know who Barbara Rhodes is? You know who um, Sung Song, Zen Master Sung Song, Sung Sunim? was one of the first, maybe the first um, practicing Zen Master to, to show up in, in uh, North America. And he set up the Cambridge Zen Center and 
in the 70s, I guess he was earning his living repairing washing machines, you know, and his, his sangha was seven people big. Uh, and he became quite, quite renowned, and, and you may be familiar with the notion of don't know mind, uh, which was his. And he's a Zen, Zen, uh, master, Korean, and, um, his senior disciple, a woman named Barbara Rhodes, um, uh, tells this story, which is, which is, uh, she says, that's been helpful to her. Um, she was, I think she was the first of his disciples to be granted transmission, to be recognized as, as a teacher. She says, when Zen Master Sung San, my teacher, had been in this country for six or eight months, everybody was always asking him questions about Korea, Buddhism, and enlightenment. Somebody asked him if there were any women Zen Masters in Korea. He said, no, women can't get enlightenment. I just looked at him. He gave these wonderful Dharma talks about don't make men, don't make women, don't make anything. So I said, Sang Sunim, you always say, originally there is nothing. Don't make distinctions. Don't make good and bad or man or woman. What do you mean women can't get enlightened? I wasn't angry. I was just shocked that he was saying that. And he looked at me and he said, so, you're a woman? No. Our, our awareness, the awareness that we have just awareness itself. Is it, can you detect gender in the awareness? But we build story about, about gender. We build story about social class, about identity. We suffer because we've got stories about we are Americans and we are in Iraq. Not in our name. Identify this way. and So from the most intimate parts of our of the being that we identify ourselves as to the external uh, presentation that we make. Story. And the awareness of all that is independent. When we make self, of course, then we have other. You know, we divide up this field of awareness that exists you know, in, your, in your own experience it goes to the most intimate physical and psychological um, phenomena to you know the what the data about the external uh, external world the universe the story the vision we have about it and we divide it up it all exists in our field of field of awareness we divide it up into this is me and this is not me and then we want we get the, you know, that delusion is the origin of desire and aversion. So delusion, ignorance, not seeing things as they are, which really is about seeing things as they aren't, or believing things, to, you know, that they aren't. I always like Christopher Titmus, who was, he's direct and to the point. He says, everything you think is wrong. But we're stuck with stories. You know, when you close your eyes, um, stories show up. We walk through the day interpreting what's going on in terms of the stories that, uh, you know, that when we, when we try to understand something, we try to come up with a story about it, to account for it, 
not just to see directly what our experience is, but to come up with an account, with a, you know, with a story. Um, and as I said, stories are, are useful. They're important for navigating, getting around. Um, I sometimes think of them as um, like power tools. They're really useful. They can do a whole lot, but they're like power, power tools without a safety guard. So you can, you know, or like Edward Scissorhands, you know, he couldn't put down his, his tools, so he was kind of stuck. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about, about the skillful, skillful working with stories. Because they're, they're, we're in them. You know, we're in the midst of them. Um, Stories uh, which appear in, in the mind can be pleasant or unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Pretty much if you tell, start launching into a story long enough, it's going to be pleasant or unpleasant. And we like the pleasant stories, right? And we don't like the unpleasant stories. Um, we tell ourselves, I mean, look at the, look, and the, the stories color our experience. I remember, uh, geez, it must be 30 years ago now, Brian Gumbel did a, a broadcast about a, a football game. And the idea where he stood outside, the, he was really young then, he stood outside the stadium and he said, this, I'm, we're going to walk inside and I, nobody's going to say anything. We're just going to watch the game. The cameras are going to be on the field. They'll go to the scoreboard every once in a while, but there's no commentary and, you know, I, I, they didn't do it again, so it mustn't, people must have turned away, you know. Um, but but it was it it was like, <laughs> you know, that people screaming. It was football game on TV without the without the commentary, without the stories about who the players are and who the teams are and what it all means, you know. Here we live in the Bay Area. It's got to be one of the most um, heavenly places on the planet in terms of standard of living, uh, you know, relative safety, uh, health, you know, and yet we've got the soundtrack from hell, you know, which wrecks it, (laughs) you know. Um, So the question about these stories, how to relate to them, um, is complicated by the fact that we want to know whether they're true or not. That's the primary question we ask of them. Is this story true or false? There's a, there's a, um, there's a story about, maybe somebody knows who these guys were, somebody it's like either Einstein and Martin Buber or Jean-Paul Sartre. I mean, it's major philosophical. And one of them was younger and goes to the door of the other and knocks on the door and hands them a card. And on the card, on one side is written the sentence, the statement on the other side is true. And you turn it over and it says, the statement on the other side is false. And, and the story goes, anybody know who those people were? Anybody hear that story? And it, you know, the, the, they invited the guy in and they, they had a great time. 
Um, how do you hold the statement on the other side is true, the statement on the other side is false? Well, you, you know, because if you actually engage them, your mind sort of goes tilt. You know, it's one of those, ins- right? You know. So what, what, do you, what do you do? You say, well, that's what those statements say. That's just those statements. So the issue isn't whether they're true or false. And that's the state of mind, if we can bring that to the stories, just to notice them as stories, without getting reactive, without... Um, because the stories that are helpful, the stories that are skillful, are those stories that will uh, work to attenuate suffering. And the stories that are not skillful will make suf- our suffering worse, or make our dissatisfaction with our, with our lives and our experience worse. Now, the stories, you know, we're going to be using stories, so the standard is, does this story make things worse? Or does it make things better? And yet we, it's important to us that we know what's true. We don't want to believe a false story. A true story, that's the standard. Is it true? There have got to be some things that are true, right? Some things we can hold on to, we can depend on, cling to. But the story, again, you know, the story provides the context for intention. So let me give you an example in terms of practice. Suppose you think that this life is the only life. This is it. This multiple lifetime business that the Buddha talks about and in other traditions, we just don't know and probably not and I don't have any memory, nobody I know. So this is the life. In that case, what's the intention we bring to practice? We're going to do the best we can. We're going to work hard within the context of our life at letting go of, of the clinging that causes us suffering, trying to wake up as best we can. We're going to do the best we can. Really. I mean, honestly, we're going to do the best we can. Now, if, you're, if the story that you hold is that we, our existence here is in the midst of multiple lifetimes, into the future and into the past, If that's actually the, the concept you hold, then you can say, you know, I'm going to become fully enlightened no matter how many lifetimes it takes. I am totally committed. It doesn't matter. Don't make it this time. Next time, this is my intention is set for whatever. whatever. That's a totally different intention. And it's based on a different understanding. So which is the under and do we know either way? Really not. No. So skillful or unskillful. The skillful understanding, the skillful story is one which leads towards the attenuation of the dissatisfaction that we that we uh, experience. You know, the Buddha even talked about the Dharma, which is a story. You know, the Dharma is a collection of stories, the, the, eight, the Four Noble Truths. The cause of our suffering, our suffering, the cause, there's cessation and here's the path, that's a, you know, it's a story. 
But the Buddha says, you know, if you, once you, uh, the metaphor he uses, cross over, you, it's, it's a raft. The, the Dharma is a raft to carry you across the river. When you get to the other side, you know, pick the raft up and carry it around with you. As, you know, as you walk around on the other side, you put it down. So even the Dharma, it's not so much believing, clinging to the story of the Dharma. It's knowing it and using it skillfully. But even the Dharma will be put down at some point. So any of the stories that we hold, we should hold in a way that a lot, you know, in in that same way, even when they're useful, even when they're... um, even when they're helpful. Renunciation is often thought of in terms of sense pleasures, because it's one of the forms of clinging. But the Buddha talks about, there are four forms of clinging, and one is also what he calls views, or ideas, or stories. It's one of the forms of clinging. And renunciation in terms of sense pleasures Renunciation in terms of story. I mean, I can't get enough. NPR is, I think it's, I don't think the radio turns off anymore in the car. It just is on all the time. Uh, Jack Cornfield calls it the Duca channel. <laughs> um, you know, it, it doesn't help much, but it's on all the time. I, you know, what can I, what can I do? Um, but it's not so much what What's coming is how it's how you hold that. Uh, I mentioned uh, sensonyms don't know mind, which is to maintain uh, an openness and not that you know commitment, that clinging that comes with knowing. In the Tao Te Ching, uh, the phrase is that presuming to know is a disease. Well, I know that. Presuming to know is a disease. Um, we really don't have a clue, uh, but we think we do. Now, is it uh, Eddington? Arthur? Arthur? Eddington? That is, yes. Um, he said, you know, the, the universe is about the universe. Said something unknown is doing. We don't know what. <laughs> Really. And yet, we build certainty, because we don't like this impermanence business, right? Really. I mean, we know that it's one of the characteristics of existence, but we sort of wish it weren't. (laughs) So we take this, we don't know what, we don't know, you know, and we, and we overlay story, and we live in the story, in that, in the dream of, you know, Iraq, and maybe you've got a little bit of Darfur showing up, but probably not a lot of Tamil tigers. And, you know, our dream is the dream that comes to us, the stories that come to us over, over the Internet. The, um, if, you're, if you're curious about, you know, where we stand, I, there's a, there's a um, you know, to, to measure yourself on this, on this scale, the Buddha, of course, was setting a monastic standard for life. And, you know, you have the monastic standard, which is 
full awakened uh, living, and at the other end is the, what he calls the uninstructed worldling. Um, who, those of us who are at the mercy of our desires, who are slaves to our desires. Desire arises and we trot off after it. Aversion arises and we act out on it. You know, uh, delusion arises and we figure it out. Um, he says, a monk whose mind is liberated sides with no one and disputes with no one. He employs the speech currently used in the world without adhering to it, or the stories currently used in the world without adhering to them. So, you know, that's a monastic standard, but you can, you can measure yourself. Do you find yourself contending with others? You know, disputing with others? How do we react to the Grand Canyon? The, how old the Grand Canyon is. Do we say, people? Or do we say, oh, how can they do that? It's another example of that. Right? Employ the, the speech of the stories currently used without adhering to them. So the stories that we have in our minds are about ourselves as Americans and about our society and European culture and you know, we're not living, we're not living as Tamil tigers. The shining path doesn't, do we, do we even know? Those aren't the stories that are currently circulating for us. The ones that are, are the ones that get us. So somewhere between this, between the monastic standard and the, the uninstructed worldling, we live somewhere in, in there, in that continuum. And it's a koan that we answer with our lives, with the way we live and, and, and the way we act. And so our task is to wake up as much as we can and do the best we can. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> So let me let me offer a few minutes um, if there are questions or comments or stories that need to be told. Yeah. Oh. So I've been sitting here through your entire story, being confused about whether I was confused. I think I'm very confused. And one of the things that I think I'm confused about is how to be a decent citizen of the world. And one of the implications, I may be misunderstanding you, about what you're suggesting, but it, just, it leaves me with a huge question about what to do about things. And I understand, I believe what you're saying, that I don't have to go off and rail and have a story and get, you know, tremendously upset about something, but it's also important, I think, 
in living my life well to address some of the suffering that I see in whatever way I can do, whether that's cutting somebody a check or doing something. So can you uh, help me with this um, confusion? Because I don't want to misunderstand what you're saying. Well, I love confusion because it means that you're clear. (laughs) I'm confused. When you're really confused, you're lost. You know, in regard to the world, there's a tendency to act out of desire or aversion, anger and and craving. If If the action that you're taking is motivated by compassion, it's very different than if it's motivated by anger. So if you're writing a check to move on, it's going to be different manifestation in the world than if you're writing a check to Doctors Without Borders. I'm not, I mean, just because there are different organizations with, you know, and your prob- your motivation may be different in regard to each. So what I would say is to look at the, look at the intention that you bring to the action, whatever it is. Uh, you know, the, I, the story about being a good citizen and what, in your mind, it takes to be a good citizen may be different than the story that someone else has. And we can get into some healthy debates about what really a good citizen means. I'm not sure how I know that I'm not deluded. I would say to you with some pathological Ah, certainty that I do these things out of compassion. Um, But I would also tell you that that most of the religions of the world that I'm aware of uh, will kill anybody in sight who disagrees with them because they're trying to reduce their suffering. That certainly, certainly seems to happen out there. Um, Ajahn Pasano, who's the co-abbot of the Abhayagiri Monastery, when asked, how, did, how would you know when, when you were deluded? His response was, if you're suffering. So you do have to pay attention, you know. But if you do, um, if you yeah, if you suspect you're deluded, well, I would. would no, no, it's, <laughs> you, you'll you'll probably escalate the suffering. <laughs> is what's liable to happen. But um, compassion compassion is related to the perception of suffering. It's not related to anger about what someone's doing with the environment or whatever, or the desire to see. I mean, you know, what have been the, the, the big stories of, of, of this year? You, know? you go back and look at them. We're looking at, we're trying to, uh, to make sense. Um, for me, it's James Brown. Uh, James Brown and, and the election. But, you know, there were a few other things that happened, too. Those are about, about preferences for me, things I like and don't like. But they're not, neither one are about suffering, about dealing with people who are, we're all in that boat. First noble truth is that we're all there. There isn't one of us here who's not there. And we're all struggling to free ourselves and to make sense of it. And if it were really easy, we'd be done with it because we've all been working a little bit anyway. 
if not a lot. So it's, you know, I sat for a day and it took me to recognize anger. You know? Um, So recognizing compassion, being able to distinguish it from principle and we think it's, you know, we think it's important. It takes practice. So we awaken as much as we can and do the best we can. Did you, with your hand going up? Yeah, please. We, we only have a minute or two because we've got, uh, well, I have a question that regards, is related to this discussion, um, in, in regards to complacency. Mm-hmm. And it, and it seems to me, I've, I've watched, um, some things this, this past year and realized that, um, people tend to often, um, either accept a story or turn away and, and be complacent and, you know, I don't really understand and, and, and make, you know, decisions around that. And so I've been watching in, in myself my tendency to turn away from things with complacency and, and to turn away from suffering and to think, well, this is happening to them because, you know, there must be, there must be a story that, that makes it okay that this is happening or whatever. When it's, you their, br- it's their karma. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and so it's been interesting to watch it as part of my practice. But then you bring up like this issue of like the Grand Canyon. So we can kind of say, oh, yeah, it's people. Look at this, you know, and we can turn away from that. And that's not necessarily causing anybody immediate suffering. Nobody's going to die over it. Nobody, you know, but, you know, I think that's kind of complacent to to just kind of say, OK, so we don't do anything about it. You wait until you know, the ramifications of that get huge, and then people start saying, oh, my God, you know, they don't teach science anymore, <laughs> I mean, or whatever. I mean, it, it can be a story, or it, but my, my sense is that when something like that comes across your plate, whether it's something huge like that, maybe there's not much you can do, or whether it's just immediate in your family, that it's important to, to not um, be complacent. And yet I'm hearing from you somewhat, you know, that we can, that, but that our, um, that we put stories around it to act and as opposed to just kind of seeing that and what does that mean when they tell them that they can't say how old the Grand Canyon is? Ah, meaning. Great, great um, nutrient for story. But so are you I would not, not I would, doing I'm not anything? trying to offer my story in place of yours. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, are you advocating that, that basically you, you listen to that and, and you say that's a story and so you don't I'm advocating you don't that act? we wake up as much as we can to what we're doing and do the best we can. And wake up as much. And th- that means seeing story as story. And what does that mean? You know, there's somewhere on the continuum. The Buddha, when he was, when he was around, what did he do? That he spent the day doing? Abiding. That's the word they use. He would go to Vulture Peak for the days abiding. That's what he did. You know, they put his friend King Pasanadi in jail. He didn't do anything. He spent the day abiding. And we've got at the other extreme, we've got, you know, people who are totally reactive. Like us. You know. Uh, we, but we hopefully have a clue, you know. And we're, a desire arises, and we trot off after it. An aversion, ar- we we just reactive to the story. So somewhere in between there, that's where we are. And 
I see my job is to wake up as much as possible. And in the meantime, do the best I can in terms of the understanding that I've got. So, that's, that's what I'm advocating. <laughs> so, we can watch and see how long it takes the media to... Uh, I, th- I think I'm probably going to... Um, I'd be happy to chat right afterwards, but I, th- I think I've got a, a time frame here that says stop. <laughs> so I want to thank all of you for your attention and have a great, joyful New Year. <laughs>